Hello everyone, today's episode is on the dark night of the soul, the senses, as well as the spiritual canticle of St. John of the Cross. I'm going to be very repetitive in this episode, and I'm going to start that repetition right now. Why? Because one goal I have is to ease the mind of those who may suffer from scrupulosity or an OCD when it comes to spirituality and God. And when you explore concepts like the dark night, which are rooted in the belief that God is purposefully weaning you off of grace, it can make God seem like a jerk. <laughs> and what I want to do in this episode is talk about the dark night in its full context. But there's a lot of nuance that needs to be said because not every negative experience we have in life is caused by God weaning us from consolation. Sometimes it's the simple result of the actions of someone else or our own actions. But even then, God is working through it. And I also do not want people to listen to this and think, okay, well, am I going through a dark night of the senses, of the spirit, of the soul? Because the way through all of them is the same, which I will explain here. So I want you to listen to this with the mindset not of God is a trickster God, or God is a sadist, or God is a jerk. But I want you to listen with the mentality that even the times in which we feel separated from him are times in which he is working alongside us and with us. And sometimes, oftentimes, that's a mystery as to why. But there are still fruits. And realizing those fruits is realizing what the dark nights are all about. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you take care while listening. Enjoy. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I am your host, W. Today we will be talking about the dark night of the soul, as well as the dark night of the senses. So when many people think of St. John of the Cross, they immediately think of this dark night, specifically the term dark night of the soul. And the Dark Knight is very much an important part of San Juanist spirituality. Many people don't understand or realize or have been taught the Dark Knight in its proper context, that it's often a step in a larger spiritual journey, and how God is taking away consolations and reordering our spiritual life so that we can focus more on Him. This is very similar 
to the Teresian mansions. Teresa actually attests that the dark night occurs in the advanced stages of a contemplative practice. There are many other complexities here. People say the dark night, but there are two dark nights. There's the dark night of the senses and of the soul. And I would argue that the dark night of the senses is fairly common, but even then there are various degrees to it. But regardless, over time, the dark night has gone from a very nuanced and very specific event to kind of being a synonym for a crisis of faith or a string of bad luck. And you know what? That's fine. I think that's fine. That's not wrong because God is working through us during a crisis of faith, during a bad day. But we need to be careful, right? We need to be careful before we just say anything is a dark night of the soul or the sense because then we are saying every single bad thing we are going through is because God is trying to teach us a lesson or God is doing this for a reason. And God is working through that for a reason. But if we see every negative thing ever as God trying to teach us something, this has some pretty profound implications on who God is. This means that God is kind of a jerk and God is not a jerk. Or it's putting forth even a a self-centeredness of, you know, why is this happening to me and not seeing the bigger picture? Because sometimes the difficult seasons in our life are due to the actions of others or the consequences of our own actions. Or yes, these difficult times can be God working through the bad to make way for the good. God is always involved somehow. And while that can sound like the dark night, and there's no issue, again, in defining these bad things as a dark night, the writings of St. John of the Cross, they have a bit more nuance and a bit more refinement. We will get into that. We will get into how we can still look at these rough patches through the lens of a dark night, because I think we should. Also, I think the disclaimer here needs to to be said that the dark night of the soul or the senses is not depression. It is not mental anguish brought forth by trauma. The dark night refers to a spiritual state. Of course, mental health factors play into it. But regardless, my point here is that rather than looking at the dark night, we need to look at everything, a more holistic view of St. John of the Cross, because this will help us perceive God and how he sees the path towards God. And I personally think the best place to start this is by looking at his poem, The Spiritual Canticle. So as I said last week, The Spiritual Canticle is my favorite work by St. John of the Cross because I feel like it summarizes his entire theology in one poem. And it closely mirrors the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs, to me, is also a very integral text to Christianity that we often overlook because it's weird. It's overtly sensual, and people don't know what to do with it. But the Song of Songs is an allegory about God seeking the soul. In the Song of Songs, the soul is the bride and God is the bridegroom, and it's a journey towards God, a journey towards the bridegroom. We are drawn in by his fragrance, drawn in by his song, and we are also drawing him in. We are seeking one another. This whole concept 
of seeking God and God seeking us. It really is in stark contrast with how many people approach God and spirituality. We approach God in this black and white, pure and impure way of thinking rather than God lulling us in through song, through beauty, through romance. Sometimes we may stop. Sometimes we may stumble on the path. Sometimes we may turn away, but God is always lulling us in. Even when we go to confession, even when we repent, that's not because we are in trouble. God's even working through us in those moments. Anyhow, St. John takes those concepts of the Song of Songs about a seeking bride and bridegroom. He incorporates new areas of emphasis, which when read alongside his larger works, you see a path towards the divine. And you don't see this explicitly in the Song of Songs, but you see it more in John's work. So the spiritual canticle starts with the line, Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, and you were gone. So that's just the first three lines. And here we have a lover who is in pain, someone who is tormented by their own solitude, their own loneliness. Here the lover is saying, you have wounded me, and then you were gone. You may read this as she is wounded because her lover left, and that's fine. But that's not necessarily the whole picture here. More so, the woundedness happened before. The woundedness is a wound of love. This is expanded upon in John's commentary on the stanza, but this idea of being wounded in love appears a lot in his work. And if this phrase, being wounded in love, sounds strange to you, let's strip away the poetics and let's talk about it very plainly. Have you ever loved someone so much that it hurts? It hurts because even though you have given them all you have, there is still more you wish you could give them. Or you love them so much and you want to protect them and treat them in ways that are just beyond your control. Or maybe it's even more wordless. Maybe it's a feeling, maybe it's holding on to your child and feeling love, but also pain. Because the love is just so much, it's so intense. And you love your child or maybe your spouse or a friend so intensely that you could learn every language in the world, and even then, there will be no words to utterly explain your love, because it's beyond it. So you are just frustrated in that moment. You are wounded in that moment, wounded in love. And if you can imagine this on a human level, if you can feel this on a human level, imagine this on a divine level. Here, God is romancing her in. We do not know how. We have many clues throughout. She loved God so much, wounded in the ways we just spoke of. She loves him so much, but she is only human. How can you express such love for the divine in our small mortal bodies? So the lover goes and meets the beloved, already wounded, already wounded and lovesick. And she finds that he is not there, so she panics. Where have you gone, my beloved? 
you wounded me and left me moaning. So what she does next is she goes to find him, goes to see where he is hidden. And here we see even more of this love woundedness. And now this leads up to my favorite line in all of Christian mystical literature. She goes and seeks him. She's going through the forest looking for him. She's calling out to him. And she becomes even more love wounded. How? Because she sees glimpses of him everywhere. She sees glimpses of him in the trees, in the beasts of the land, the birds of the sky, and the flowers, the grass, the coolness of the air, all of it. But she knows that those aren't him. They point to him, though. Because if these plants and creatures are reflective of his beauty, then how much more beautiful is God? And thus, here's my favorite line, she is left with this, I don't know what, behind my stammering. There's a speechlessness, a love that goes beyond words, a love that has transcended. Because her love for God and God's immensity, it goes beyond words. And there's another hint at the wordlessness in the first stanza, because that's the use of the term moaning or groaning. You wounded me and left me moaning. That comes from St. Paul, who says how the Spirit speaks through us. The Holy Spirit speaks through us with wordless moanings. So this can also be an allegory of God and how he moves us to speechlessness. So there are two key messages here that are at play, and this is only the first five, ten stanzas. So the first is the hidden God. So this is like someone playing hide-and-go-seek. God hides, not to be secretive, but so we can go and find him. Here the lover is searching for him, but just as she realizes, he transcends the beauty of creation, so she sheds these concepts and attachments. She knows he's beyond, beyond, beyond. And eventually she sheds it all until at the end of the poem she finally meets him in union. Now the second is transcendence. So as we discussed, she goes beyond the creatures, beyond the senses. There's a strong theme here of going beyond and transcending. And I don't know what behind my stammering. Now, we literally get all of this from the first four or five stanzas of this 40-stanza poem, and it has over 200 pages of commentary from St. John. So there's so much more you can take from the spiritual canticle. I highly recommend it. But I find these two concepts alone, the hidden God and transcendence, to be key to understanding St. John and Christian mysticism as a whole. If you listen to the previous episode, we talked about apophatic or negative theology, which is always going beyond, beyond, beyond. And there it is right there. That is transcendence. God is beautiful, but God is even more than beautiful. All of this is pointing to God, but there's something more. In the hidden God, he's hiding so we always seek him. The lover in the Song of Songs, the bride and the bridegroom, the lover seeking the beloved in the spiritual canticle. Even in our despair, even 
in our darkness, we fall to our knees and we look to God because that is where God is calling us as well. Even in those moments, he is still seeking us and we are still seeking him. All right, so that's the spiritual canticle and those lead us to the dark nights. So I'm saying that plurally now. The dark night, the dark nights, <laughs> they are part of John's work from the ascent of Mount Carmel, which is his almost interior castle. I would say the interior castle is even more complex. But there's a rhythm at play in the ascent. There's the active night of the senses, then there is the dark night of the senses. There's the active night of the soul, then the dark night of the soul. So here we constantly see consolation, active, desolation, dark. It's a rhythm. So most people on the spiritual path, they encounter these dark nights of the senses. So let's focus on this for a bit. I should also say there are always overlap between soul, dark night of the soul and dark night of the senses. And like I said before, just because you are going through a trial does not necessarily mean that God is always purposefully willing you through it. God is there with you, but it's not always initiated by God. And I think that's important. Regardless, there are always things that we can take from it. But let's talk about the dark night of the senses. This is a spiritual dryness of sorts. Remember, these are kind of in a spiritual mentality. That way you can kind of discern mental unwellness, physical unwellness. It's part of it, but it's a spiritual dryness of sorts. And here we are no longer receiving sense consolations from God. Maybe we do not feel that spark in prayer anymore, or we feel as if we are going through a dull routine. Here, God is weaning us off of physical sense consolations of feelings. Why would he do this? Well, often God hides himself from us, so we will go and search for him elsewhere. This could mean starting a new devotion or picking up a new act of mercy like volunteering. But largely, it's mainly so that we love God not for the feelings, not for the consolations, not for the graces, but for love itself. Will you love me? even if I cannot give you gifts? Will you love me just to love me? Now, why would God want us to go beyond senses? When we pray, what is the first thing we do? Instinctively, we close our eyes because we instinctively know that God goes beyond these senses. So this may mean that God will remove certain things that make us attached to a sense pleasure, yes. This might be an actual material object or it could be a situation, or just an emotion. But again, God is not a sadist. He is not just taking away things from us to bring us closer to him. But sometimes, that can be what is occurring. I also want to remind everyone that St. John of the Cross was a Catholic, not a Puritan. He is not saying that since pleasures or since objects are bad. They are not. Catholics have beautiful churches and cathedrals, and on feast days, especially in 15th century Spain, they had real, actual feasts. So this detachment from sense pleasure, it's not saying that 
since pleasure is evil. Instead, it's just a reminder that God goes beyond the sense pleasures. Remember, remember the lover on the path to God. She saw the beauty in the flowers, trees, and animals. She didn't say these things aren't beautiful. She didn't say these things are pointless. No, she said that they are pointing towards God, but God is even further. So sometimes God does remove these pleasures to bring us closer to him. And yes, while this is often spiritual dryness, the dark night of the senses can also involve despair, tragedy, and bad things happening to us. Like I said, I'm not going to say that it's never not that. A divorce, a lost job, an illness, and so on. But the key here is that a dark night of the sense, since it is a physical event, it will end. It will end and your situation changes. So now you receive your consolation again and you receive it in a new way and ultimately it strengthens your relationship with God in some way. Also, the other part here is you don't really lose your faith in God. So during this, you may question what he's doing a lot, but you can see the glimmers here and there. There is physical desolation, but not so much spiritual desolation. And of course, there is some overlap, but the night of the senses is usually centered on material and physical situations. And I want to reiterate again for those who may struggle with scrupulosity or spiritual OCD of source or even just an infatuation with a wrathful God. God is not this puppet master. He is not this character in Fantasia who is conducting all of the evil spirits to mess with you because that's his way of drawing you in. It's not what I'm saying at all. Sometimes the bad things that you're going through are the act of someone else into which they need to get their comeuppance, the consequences of your own actions, or they are mysterious. But even in those bad times, God is still there. God is still working through you. When we talk about dark night of the senses, it can be a time in which something we are attached to starts to fade away. And ultimately, we get through it. So the dark night of the soul is when we start to have an intense experience that goes beyond the physical realm. And here we experience both physical and spiritual desolation. Here is where St. Teresa of Avila would say this comes in her later mansions. So this comes before intense ecstatic union. So at least in the eyes of St. Teresa, a dark night of the soul, at least in the proper text, is pretty advanced and pretty intense. So here we may start doubting God's existence or we have no hope in heaven and so on. And there's certainly an overlap between the two, but the night of the soul was much more wrapped in spirituality. So St. John says, in the dark night, there's no comfort in the things of God and none in created things. So here he is describing sense and soul. There's an anxiety or pain when we even think of God. And there's an inability to reflect or meditate. So we have no will or spirit that pushes us towards him. So while the spiritual canticle heavily relies on more of a dark night of the sense, there are glimpses of a dark night of the soul too. 
Many great saints spoke on a dark night of the soul. St. Therese of Lisieux is a big one. Towards the end of her life, she felt such darkness and despair and found no more consolations in God, only desolations. And she would eventually, though, see these desolations a gift. She was able to offer them up. She viewed her lack of God as a similarity to what the atheists were feeling. So she wasn't feeling God, and she knows the atheists don't either. So she vowed to God, let me suffer with love so that God will maybe show himself to the atheist. She would suffer for them like Christ suffered for us. Now remember, this type of unitive suffering is often given by God to those in very deep levels of the contemplative life, often saints and this level of redemptive suffering is taken on freely. They, the saint will ask for it. So think of the stigmatists who have the stigmata. They don't just have it because it's cool to be like Jesus, but they believed that their suffering was saving souls. So if we ever encounter this dark night of the soul, we likely or may not take it to the level of suffering as Therese or the stigmatist. But there is usually a way that God is working through this to strengthen us and draw us further into union. So the dark night of the soul, the dark night of the senses, it follows the pathway of mysticism, the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. So the purgative way, obviously, this is God weaning you off of those consolations, things that may be a barrier to God. This can be sense pleasure or even spiritual pleasures that you may have an unhealthy attachment to. In the illuminative way, eventually we start to make sense of why that darkness was in our life, and that will lead us to the unitive way. So if we are talking about the Teresian mansions, this may eventually lead to a more intense, ecstatic experience, but often it's just realizing why we lost that job, why we had to lose that relationship, and understanding that will bring us closer to how God was working through our life. And I also want to note here, the dark night of the soul, the dark night of the spirit, these are great theological concepts. They're interesting. And I, I think it's very important to see how God is working through our darkness. I think that's key. But we also can't obsess over is this a dark night of the soul? Is this a dark night of the spirit? Is this just a bad day? Because honestly, the way to work through these is the same. And if you are part of a contemplative or spiritual practice, hopefully you have a trust in God regardless. But let's talk about how to survive these dark nights because no matter if it's of the soul or of the spirit, they're the same. And honestly, this framework, no matter if it is just a bad day, an illness, what have you, the pathways are the same. So first, persevere in the little ways. So we're talking about Therese again in her autobiography, The Story of the Soul. She explains how she grew spiritually by finding her way to God's heart through little acts of love. I wish both to suffer and to find joy through love, she writes. So if we imitate her example, we can approach suffering by offering it to God and accepting it with joy. 
So another would be trust the abandonment. And I think this is something we can always look at. Love is a leap of faith into the unknown. And with God, spiritual growth comes from complete abandonment to his will, even in the darkness. In her diary, St. Faustina speaks of the fruit of this abandonment. She says, I am but an infant, Lord, so I cannot get along by myself. However, beyond all abandonment, I trust, and in spite of my own feelings, I trust, and I am being completely transformed into trust, often in spite of what I feel. So when we surrender our lives to God, we enter into a deeper intimacy with him. So complete trust is placing daily challenges and struggles into the loving hands of God. Pray, hope, but don't worry. And the last would simply be to remain in faith. The test of the soul challenges us to step away from pride, ego, and vanity in a status-driven world. Praying more and doing small things with great love, it helps us to remain in faith and be obedient to God's will above our own or other people and their desires. So when facing a dark night, we have the opportunity to lean in and learn to trust God more deeply, even when we feel that he isn't present. In the grace that we gain from this kind of spiritual darkness, is one where you come to love God for God himself, not for what God can give us, but what God does for us. So then, when the trial is over, you may be able to say, here I am, Lord. This is how much I've loved you back. That I loved you even in the pits of Sheol. Even in my darkness, I still loved you, God. This is very reminiscent of Christ's descent into hell. The contemplative life is looking at the life of Christ and seeing how it relates to us. And Christ died. He descended into hell and freed the souls. So now God even reigns in separation. God even exists in our deepest hell. And the dark night is about finding him there and allowing him to resurrect you. All right, so what have we learned here today, dear friends? First, I hope we have learned from the spiritual canticle the importance of seeking God, being wounded in love, for God, for one another as well. If we are wounded in love for one another, eventually that transcends to a love of God. But being wounded by God so we seek him and seeing how he hides, not because he wants to be secretive, but because he wants us to search for him. And the realization that he is looking for us too that is something that is often overlooked in the spiritual life. We see ourselves as the one seeking God and forgetting that God seeks us. So that is there in the canticle as well. The lover and the beloved both seek one another, just like God is seeking you. And there's the path. The path 
that may be filled with times in which we stumble and stop, but God is still fueling that path. Even when we feel the need to repent, that is God calling us into repentance. And the second part is the dark night, which I have discussed. Sometimes the dark seasons in our life are simply dark seasons. It's not always God taking things away for a purpose, though every negative experience God is somehow involved and there is a takeaway we can garner. More specifically, the dark night of the senses would be an aridity because perhaps we have become too dependent on a grace. So God hides like he did in the canticle. So you will find him in a place anew. Similarly, the dark night of the soul and the senses, God will take away those consolations. So we can simply love God for love's sake rather than our selfishness. But regardless, no matter if it is a dark night of the soul or of the spirit, the key is surrender. The key is to trust. The key is to find those glimmers of God where we can. The key is to be able to praise him even in the darkness and use that suffering as a way of redemption. What have I learned in this darkness? How can I be an example? I am outwardly suffering and people are seeing it. How can I inspire others who are going through something similar? The cancer patient who suffers with joy and love, even though she is scared, she does this to give hope to others and she volunteers and takes care of other patients giving them hope, using her suffering to redeem herself and others. How can we see God in hell and show others that too? But regardless, it's to trust and to love and to seek. Let us end with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Dear God, you gave us the beautiful poetry of St. John of the Cross, who shows us that amongst the bounty which you have put before us, in the times you have anointed us with oil, in the times in which our cups have runneth over, even in those times, we yearn for even more. Not because we are selfish, but because, God, we know that if this bounty is beautiful, then how much beautiful are you and is your kingdom? So allow us to yearn for you. Allow us to seek you everywhere, including the darkness, including the depths of Sheol. Allow us to seek you and feel you and search for you. Guide us. Let us know that you too are seeking us. Allow us to trust in you, knowing 
that your gentle hand will keep us safe. Saint John of the Cross, pray for us. This has been another episode of Saint Anthony's Tongue, and I have been your host, W. Thank you for listening, and remember, even the darkness is like day to God. Take care.